You are entering the Freedom Hut. Russian meddling in our elections? Oh, looks like there's at least one case of it the feds are calling out for the 2018 midterms. We'll talk about that, plus the other countries, Russia, China, and Iran, that have tried to intervene as well. Plus, what's going on with the caravan on the way to the border, and the Democrats' mobs continue to hound Republicans. That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This This is The Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make, make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. The other shameful acts, including what they're doing to our border by saying, we're not going to give you the laws that you need to protect our country. But we're taking it and we're doing it and we have great things happening. This will be an election of Kavanaugh, the caravan, law and order, and common sense. There you have it, folks. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. President Trump laying out what the stakes are and what the main issues are, what you should be aware of going into this midterm. Gosh, we're really getting into the final countdown here. It is getting closer than we had anticipated, isn't it? Uh, it's happening faster than, well, it feels like faster every year. I guess I'm getting older. Uh, but common sense, Kavanaugh, the wall, mobs, this is what it all comes down to. What did the Democrats offer? Better governance? No. Better ideas? No. Better behavior? Definitely not. Uh, Trump knows that if he can just get... Americans to pay attention to what's going on and not believe the narratives that they are being spoon-fed by an insanely and maniacally anti-Trump media that will be in very good shape for these midterms. Uh, But I I feel like, you know, there's a part of you that can't help but say, I told you so with this. And and here we are with this one. And I know I shouldn't do that. Somebody say, Bark, don't say that. But trust me, in this case, in this case, it is deserved. One of the overlooked side effects of the insatiable media frenzy around Russia collusion and all that is that now they don't have to even be, a foreign adversary doesn't even have to be particularly good at intervening in the election. They can actually undermine democracy, because that's what the Democrats say has happened. They can do that merely by doing anything. And it will call the election at some level the results into doubt because whichever side loses now can point. And we know the Democrats will do this over and over again. They can point and say, oh, see, it was a close election, but it was because of those Facebook memes. It was because of the Russians spending a couple million dollars on Facebook that my side didn't win. And that in Putin and his oligarchs wildest dreams, there was absolutely no way they could have ever anticipated that whatever the success was that they had in the meddling the first time around would be so repeatable and so easily achievable once again because all you have to do is do any meddling and you feed into this frenzy, this hysteria around it, right? I mean, if you get 10 Russians to start posting some memes on Facebook and then they write a little stuff in Cyrillic and they say, oh gosh, you know, we're going to really do everything we can to mess up the U.S. election. 
you're going to have some media outlets that act like this is the bombing of Pearl Harbor all over again. They're going to act like this is a, a tremendous threat to democracy. Um, and that's why when you look at this latest charge here, this is going to be, they're going to make a much bigger deal of this. This just came out today. They're going to make a much bigger deal of this than, uh, than they should. And it's because of all these political reasons. Quote, federal prosecutors, this is in the Wall Street Journal today, have charged a Russian national with conspiring to influence next month's midterm elections, according to a criminal complaint unsealed Friday, the first known case involving the November race. The Justice Department described Elena Alexeyevna Kuzyayanova, Kuzyayanova, wow, that's not an easy one, of St. Petersburg, Russia, as the chief accountant of an effort funded by a Russian oligarch and two companies he controls, including a Russian company that's been indicted by special counsel Robert Mueller. Before the complaint was unsealed Friday, U.S. intelligence agencies had expressed concern over election interference, citing Russian, China, a Chinese, and Iranian countries trying to interfere. They added that no evidence that voting or vote counts were affected. State and local governments prevented the attempts. Okay. What I've been saying all along is that now, if you're a foreign government that really doesn't like us, all you have to do is meddle a tiny little bit, just a, li- just a little bit of meddling, and you get this greatly magnified effect because the media wants an excuse, Democrat Party wants an excuse for why Hillary lost. They got it with the whole Russian meddling nonsense. But now that they've convinced a lot of Americans that already one election was changed because of this, this can this is highly repeatable. You can do this over and over. It's not that difficult. And you don't have to be successful, right? Because they took all context out of the discussion. It was no longer, did they change votes? Did this actually shift the election in any particular state or, or, or in any meaningful way? Or was this just throwing out there some memes and some fake Facebook stuff? And that shifted perception. You can never really gauge how much impact that shift had, but it did something, and something means that you can always say the election was tainted. Now Russia, China, Iran, any country, doesn't even have to be sophisticated. They have the ability to, with a minimum of any financial outlay, with a minimum of of anything from their end, they can affect the outcome of an election, right? They, They can change how much Uh, trust we have in our electoral process. And if you're looking to undermine democracy, the great irony here is that because the left and the Democrats hyperventilated so much about the last Russian interference campaign, everyone that comes after this is likely to be greatly exaggerated in the minds of a lot of people. And now whenever, whenever one side of the political aisle loses, there'll be at least some faction within it that can say, see, tainted election you know this this election was marred by outside efforts to try to change things so and i would also note that the russians and the chinese maybe even the iranians they're going to get more sophisticated at doing this too they're, they're not going to just stop at these relatively minor and innocuous facebook campaigns uh, and some of the other things that have been going on they're going to get more advanced but back to this this federal complaint that just came out today uh, this is what it says in this journal piece. Ms. Kuzyanova, sorry, I don't know how you say that, Kuzyanova, uh, managed the effort called Project Lakta, which targeted the U.S. election and worked with a total operating budget of more than $35 million between January 2016 and June 2018, the complaint said. 
uh, Ms. K, I'll call her, played a key role in what Project Latka described as information warfare against the United States. Information warfare is a pretty strong way of saying getting them to try to vote for one side of the political aisle or the other. Um, remember, they're not trying to convince us to have a, a bloody revolution in the streets. They're trying to convince people to either vote for Trump or vote for Hillary or vote for whomever. Uh, but I, I just think that we've lost we've lost so much of the uh, ability to contextualize this and, and understand what really matters, what's really important, and, and what's not. Um, they're, they're getting way ahead of their skis on this one. So we've got now, now we've got DOJ charges about Russian interference in the midterms. Who wants to guess whether the Democrats are going to wait and see how they do in the midterm before making a big deal of this? All of a sudden, they're going to unearth a lot more. There's going to be so much more reporting on this one based on who wins or who doesn't. So we'll stay on this. I, I also want to talk to you about the mob, uh, mobs on the streets and the massive caravan of people heading for the border. We'll discuss this and Team O. So much more. Uh, got a bit of a freestyle Friday in effect here. Get a, a great way to kick off your weekend. We'll be right back. I am a coffee drinker through and through, team. Every day, it's how I get my day started, and it's how I push through the day. Multiple cups, and it's not something that I think has to go along with left-wing politics, okay? I'm sick of these commie coffee companies telling me that I need to kneel during the anthem or I need to worry about a bathroom policy, any of this other crap. How about just delicious coffee brought to you by veterans of the United States Armed Forces? That's what I drink every day, Black Rifle Coffee. Black Rifle Coffee was founded by former special operations vets, and it is roast-to-order delicious coffee that can be delivered right to your door. This guarantees you're getting fresh premium coffee with every order. No more lines, no more rushing to the checkout, none of that stuff, okay? Black Rifle makes a hell of a cup of coffee. Try it for yourself. I'm making converts at my office left and right. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck and receive 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. Mexico also issued a very clear statement saying if somebody's seeking asylum, Mexico is there along now with the U.N., to look at those claims. We want to make sure that those claims are legitimate. In other words, before that, they make the trek across yes, Mexico. It, it, it's, it's not in the interest of anybody to have those people make that trip. They're frequently tricked by uh, tr- you know, human smuggling organizations. Uh, we have evidence that uh, this caravan is also very much politically motivated. Evidence that the caravan is politically motivated. What exactly does he mean there uh what is the what are the specifics that was uh, geronimo gutierrez who's the mexico mexico's ambassador to the un um there's definitely a lot of people that are working with this i actually spoke to some progressives because you know i'm in the swamp i know a lot of democrats and there are international organizations that are assisting these people along the way with this caravan route they're definitely doing everything that they can to push them along and make sure that they make the full trek, make the full journey. There's some problems uh, with this whole thing. First of all, it is very dangerous to do this. It is very dangerous for especially women and children to be traveling in this way uh, along this distance. They are going to be moving through drug cartel controlled territory. Uh, Many of them, I am sure, will uh, be 
preyed upon by the cartels. They'll try to get them to carry drugs across. You know, people say, oh, Buck, but that's who would do that uh, if the cartels can grab some of you and, you know, either offer you a lot of money or tell you that, you know, they will do terrible things to you unless you take drugs across the border. You might well do that. So it puts them in a dangerous situation. Uh, it's not safe to be doing this. I know that people say there's greater safety in numbers, and that's why this caravan's happening, but it's not safe. But on this issue of even claiming asylum, if you are an asylum seeker, then you tend to go and claim asylum in the first country you can where you realistically have a shot of staying and being safe. They're passing through Mexico on the way to the United States. What... What does the Mexican government think of this whole thing? Why can't uh, a large number, if not all of these people, if, if Honduras is so dangerous that they can't they can't bear to go back to their home country, why doesn't the Mexican government take them in? Why doesn't the Mexican government do more to make them feel safe and at home there? Remember, we're talking about culturally, linguistically, very similar countries, very similar, and right next to each other. And, you know, one thing that always stuck out to me when I was at the uh, Syrian refugee camps on the Jordanian-Syrian border was that every Syrian that I spoke to through a translator uh, claimed that they they were happy that they were safe, but they didn't want to go back home. They didn't want to abandon their country forever. They just wanted to not get killed while the war was raging, and then they wanted to return if they could. That was what I was told over and over again. Um, but what you see here with, with a lot of these people who are making their way with this caravan of, of immigrants through Mexico to the U.S. border are people who, they want to be in America. Now, there's a part of me that says, yeah, I, I get it, right? Of, of course, people want to be in America. It's the greatest country on the face of the earth. But, you know, it shouldn't be my country is, is, uh, is not so great, so I'm going to claim that I'm under imminent threat of violence so that I get to go to the best country right away. Uh, if it were really about asylum, I mean, you saw this with the migrants leaving the Mideast and, and going across Europe, too. They didn't want to stop in Hungary. They didn't want to stop in, you know, in Poland. They wanted to, or they didn't want to stop in Greece. I mean, that's really where they end up first when they cross over from Turkey. Uh, they want to get all the way up to uh, either Germany or Sweden or one of those very robust economically uh, and very friendly to refugees, uh, northern and central European countries. Uh, that's what that's what the whole plan was. It wasn't just to get to a place where they were safe and not under imminent threat of, of death. It was get to the place where you have the, look, the most generous welfare state, the uh, greatest, you know, economic assistance from uh, from those that are either the NGOs that are there or also the government. Uh, but there's a lot of things about this caravan that you're not being told and that you won't be told. Uh, I do not think that this was in any way a uh, coincidence that this the largest yet uh, the largest caravan yet is on its way to the border. I think that they're trying to return the issue. They're trying to return to the issues uh, that they think they were doing well on. The left is international. These uh, Soros-funded organizations are international. That's just a fact. People can get mad about it. It's just a fact. And they recognize that they need some momentum other than just yelling about how Trump is a racist and a sexist and a misogynist and all this. They, they need to create something beyond that. And this showdown at the border, I believe the left thinks is favorable for its political interests. I think that they, in their minds, this will give them an opportunity to energize their base and 
create something that could give them the last push they need to at least take the House in the in the midterms. Uh, but think about what the long-term incentives of this are. If we take this caravan, if this caravan is brought in the United States, let's say it's 4,000 people, why don't the next 4,000 people just say, yeah, we're going to show up too? And the next 4,000 people, yeah, we're going to show up too. At what point do you realize you no longer have a legal immigration system worthy of the name? You just have a country that is porous and you just have to find your way to get into one of those one of those holes, get into one of those ways through the apparatus that's supposed to protect our borders and end up in the United States for good. So much dishonesty on this issue from the left. It really drives me absolutely insane. You know, they're never forced to answer the question, who shouldn't be allowed to stay? If you show up and you look like you're sad and tired and, and hungry and needy from a, a country that's in bad shape, and I'm not saying, you know, that's all that's all very valid. And But if you show up from one of those countries, do you just automatically get to stay? Because then we've got a, a few hundred million people that I think really deserve to be in America right away. And Democrats won't admit this, but they're unwilling to tell all those people you do not get to stay in this country. Um by the way, there's been a confrontation on the on the border. This is uh, from USA Today. A caravan of U.S.-bound migrants broke down a border crossing Friday and streamed onto a bridge on Mexico's southern border with Guatemala in the face of a heavy presence of Mexican and Guatemalan law enforcement officers. Uh, according to media reports, the travelers, up to 4,000 people, mostly from Honduras, were stopped uh, on the river crossing by the U.S.-based Spanish language network Telemundo some members of the caravan became so desperate they jumped from the bridge trying to grab onto the makeshift rafts other migrants were using to cross the river to Mexico. Uh, unbelievable sight on the Mexican border. Tear gas, rocks being thrown. Caravan wants to enter. Not able to right now, tweeted Telemundo anchor Jose Diaz-Balart. Uh, the network, which has tra- uh, reporters traveling with the caravan, showed Mexican police lined up along the fence holding it up against the waves of migrants trying to push past. I mean, this this is... Look, this is a mob. I mean, this is a mob, but we can call it whatever. There are people that are needy, that are hungry, that, you know, want to be in America. I get that. But this is a mass of people, and they're trying to overwhelm the border. That's what this is. We cannot process them all. We cannot deal with them all. They know this. And so they show up, and this is really using our humanitarian impulses in this country against us. And that's, uh, you know, you either believe in sovereignty, you believe in law and order, or you don't. And I know it's so easy to say just take in everybody, but just remember that as you look at what's going on in a lot of communities that have had tremendous financial strain put on them by the resettlement of uh, illegal immigrants, by uh, refugees, that's just going to keep getting to be greater and greater. It's a function of mathematics, folks. You cannot have open borders in a welfare state, and we have a very big welfare state and something very, very close to open borders. What's Trump going to do about this? That is a huge question right now, and there's a huge question that we will tackle together in uh, just a couple of minutes coming up here, team. Um, so stay right there. Stay with me. The GOP argument on immigration isn't one that's optimism-based. It's fear-based. This is a scare tactic, right? This is the president. This immigration is a scare tactic he's using to rev up his supporters. When you talk about caravan, you're talking about white anxiety. You're talking about old white man angst. And so when they bring up the caravan, that's all we need to do is to bring up the pictures of children being separated from their families. So there, there you have a, a selection of what they're going to say. This is going to be one of the biggest issues 
uh, in the in the midterm election right now, I think, or one of the biggest news items, I should say, that could affect the midterms, and that's all by design. But you'll notice they say things like Trump just stokes fear about this. It's all about Trump stoking fear and fear of people from the South, fear of fear of brown people. They will say, you know, anyone who's non-white. They say all the same things all the time. What is the Democrat solution to this? I mean, that's somehow we never get to that question. We never get to pose that. We never get to hear what the answer is. What we hear a lot of flowery rhetoric, a lot of oh, but you know what we need is what we need is comprehensive immigration reform, right? What we need is an immigration system that works. The immigration system is broken. They say all that stuff. What does that mean? What does it mean? How do you fix it? Other than amnesty, do they want the border to continue being as it is? Okay, well, let's not even get into it as something this, uh, you know, open-ended and, and widespread. Let, let's take it at the very straightforward level of what do Democrats want when it comes to this caravan of people? What is their plan? Should the United States government say, oh, okay, 4,000 people who are just going to show up in a mass at the border, should be allowed to stay in the country? We should just bring them in? Let's, I think that is what they're, they're going to say. Oh, they have to be processed for asylum. They're all from Honduras, from what we know. They're going to say, you know, Honduras is very violent. We don't want to go back. We just want to be in America. Okay, and you say, all right, Buck, well, you know, we've got room for 4,000 more people. Yes, of course, right? We've got room for, when you say room, but what does that really mean? Yeah, we've got the space, obviously. We've got a lot of open space in this country, but people need resources and they have, you know, they want they want political representation and they it's it's not just to be in a place, it's also to be supported in that place. You say, "Okay, Buck, we got obviously we're a very wealthy country, we've got enough for 4,000 people." Okay, fine. What about the next 10,000? You say, "No, no, no, that that that's not." No, I would want to ask Democrat members of Congress, ask Democrat senators, what do we do when the next gang that shows up is, I don't mean gang isn't like gangbangers, but you know what I mean, the next uh, uh, group, the next mass of people, they call it a caravan, right? This is the term they try to use. What do we do when the next caravan shows up of, of 10,000 people? Okay, we're going to let we gotta let them in. Do we let in the next 10 caravans of 10,000 people each after that? Why would anybody... Why would anybody wait years and years, pay thousands of dollars, and deal with all kinds of annoying headaches? And I know they're not, it's not fun, and a lot of times it's not fair. Why do that if all you have to do is show up in Mexico, walk to the border, and say, I'm fleeing a very dangerous situation in my home country? Well, what, where are your papers? Well, I'm undocumented. I, I can't prove that. Well, do you even speak Spanish? No. No, I don't. Well, how do I know you're from Honduras? Eh, you don't, but why don't we figure that out the immigration courts? Let me into America. Oh, I get my court date in four years? Great, I'll be sure to show up for that one. See you then. Why would anyone waste their time, right? This is the way to do it. Just go to Mexico, show up at the border. But show up in a big group. Because the optics of it, which is what they're playing off of here, are, oh, we can't turn away this big group. That looks really mean. Now we're going to have a, well, we don't want to look mean immigration policy. Every other country in the world has a, we don't want to look mean immigration policy. Or rather, 
they're willing to have a we will look mean immigration policy. <laughs> They'll tell people you can't come in. Every other country says, no, sorry, you don't just get to come and, and stay here. And you can say, well, you know, America is different. All right, there's there are other wealthy countries, too. There are plenty of places people could go. Plenty of countries they could go to. You know, people in Honduras that want to flee Honduras, they could very easily head south and go to Colombia. They could go to other countries that are not uh, nearly as violent right now. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of violence in Venezuela, but not nearly as violent as what's going on in Honduras. Certainly, they wouldn't constantly be in fear of their lives. No, people want to come to America because we're... You know, we're, we're a sweet deal if you can stay here. We're a, a product that people want. America is something special. But it's not going to stay special if the Democrats have their way. And I, I do get frustrated with the demagoguery around this issue because if, if it is mean to police the border, if it is mean to separate parents from their children at the border, if it is mean to detain people who come to the country illegally... Do we just stop doing that? Is this no longer a law? Has this essentially been written out of the books because nobody wants to see tearful CNN reporters like, oh my gosh, it's so horrible. Look what's going on. I don't know. By the way, the cost of our poorest border can be measured now by the tens of thousands of people who are dying every year from opioid overdoses, which are not, despite what the left is telling you now, uh, predominantly a problem of pharmaceutical companies and overprescribing and dirty doctors and all that. That had been a problem, but now it is overwhelmingly illegal drugs, including illegal pharmaceutical-grade drugs like fentanyl and carfentanil that come through the southern border. So you got thousands and thousands of Americans who are dying because we don't have good enough border security. This is the biggest national security challenge we face in in our existence right now as a country. And what are the Democrats offering? Nothing. More more immigration courts to bring more people in faster. What do we do about the cartels? What do we do about the fact that our legal immigration system is starting to look like a joke? Oh, that's not a problem they really want to they really want to manage or deal with. They have no answers. Uh, but the good news is the American people, when this is posed to them, they, they want an orderly immigration system. They want rule of law. I would never expect that I could just walk to the border of a foreign country and say, you know what, I want to be, I, I want a part of this action. I want to stay here. You have a moral obligation to take me in, to defend me, to clothe me, to feed me, to give me health care. That's what happens now. You know, people talk about the previous waves of immigration. You didn't get to show up in America, you know, circa 1840 or, or 1900 and say, yeah, so you're going to give me a lot of stuff so that I don't have to really, like, I don't, I don't have to struggle that much, right? I don't have to worry about, they had to worry about starvation. I, I remember going to the Tenement Museum in New York City, actually, and uh, learning there about what it was like for Irish and Italian and, and uh, Jewish immigrants, particularly to, to the Lower East Side of of Manhattan, which was were tenements. They were these buildings that were just overflowing with people, you know, six in a room, living six in a room. And, you know, there would be horrible outbreaks of disease and there was terrible malnutrition. And this was in New York City. And this was in the, you know, turn of the of the 20th century. There was no, oh, I'm going to go to, you know, federal government services and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expect to get Obamacare and I'm going to expect to get, no, no, none of that. A large percentage of people that came to the country 
went back to their home country because it was too difficult here. They tried it here. Oh, this didn't work. They go home. Ultimately, as I've told you, and I don't want to belabor the point, but for Democrats, it's just about power. One of the great postures that Democrats as a party, as an ideology, love to take now is that they care so much about poor people. I know a lot of very, very wealthy, well-to-do Democrats. This is one of their favorite gifts. Oh, they care so much about the less fortunate. Oh, they care so much about uh, you know, illegal immigrants. They don't spend any time around them, though. They don't want to deal with them. They don't want to see them. They're not around them. But they care so much. They care so much about these people. To them, it is just that. It is a, a fashion that they hold out in public so they can feel good about themselves in front of other wealthy, connected people that don't have to deal with the consequences of massive immigration into their communities, that don't have to deal with the downside of what illegal immigration does to the systems we have in place for assimilation, what it does to the school system, to emergency rooms and hospitals. That's not their problem. Right? But they want it to be your problem, and they want to be smug and nasty and vicious to you when you try to raise this as an issue. They just don't care, folks. I hope I hope enough Americans are paying attention here to what's going on. And Trump is on the front line here of, do we have a country or not? Do we have borders or not? He answers in full-throated fashion, yes. And we're seeing what the left's answer is every passing day. The kind of plan that Donald has put forth would be trickle-down economics all over again. I call it trumped-up trickle-down, because that's exactly what it would be. That is not how we grow the economy. You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, you name it. Respectfully, if that is your position, then I will talk only to white people. Wait, you want me to tell you what my husband thinks? My husband is not the Secretary of State, I am. You know, I'm not sitting here as some little woman standing by my man like Tammy Wynette. And I honor what he's been through and what we've been through together. And, you know, if that's not enough for people, then heck, don't vote for him. What's something that you always carry with you? Hot sauce. <laughs> Hot sauce wow. in my bag, Swag? Hot sauce. Really? Yes. Now, listen, yes. I want you to... Oh, 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 you know? For those of you who are concerned about my using personal email, I understand. And as I've said, I'm not making excuses. I've said it was a mistake and I regret it. By the way... You may have seen that I recently launched a Snapchat account. I love it. Those messages disappear all by themselves. Did you wipe the server? What, like with a cloth or something? I don't know. Well, you no. know how it works digitally. Did you try to I, wipe the whole server? I don't know how it works digitally at all. In retrospect, do you think Bill should have resigned in the wake of the Monica Lewinsky scandal? Absolutely not. It wasn't an abuse of power? No, no. The fact is, we had four dead Americans. Was it because of a protest, or was it because of guys out for a walk one night who decided they'd go kill some Americans? What difference at this point does it make? How much do you miss her, team? We wanted to give you a little montage there so you remember what it was like when you had to deal with Hillary all the time. Ah, yes, Hillary. You probably think to yourself, like most normal people would, oh, Hillary has run for president unsuccessfully twice. There's no way that she would be so deluded and so self-involved and so self-important and megalomaniacal that she would run again. 
But, oh, I do listen to that Buck Sexton fellow sometimes on the radio. He can be quite an, an impish little little dude. And uh, he has been saying for the last year, regularly, that Hillary Clinton may run again. And I keep saying, I know everyone's going to say I'm crazy. I know everyone's going to tell me I'm nuts. But, oh, guess what? Ah, you know it's coming. First time that I can think of, at least in 2018... You have a top uh, Clinton aide, Philippe Reigns, who's a veteran spokesman and consigliere, uh, saying that, yes, it's, uh, it's possible. Here's what he said to Politico. Quote, it's curious why Hillary Clinton's name isn't in the mix, either conversationally or in formal, formal polling as a 2020 candidate. She's younger than Donald Trump by a year. She's younger than Joe Biden by four years. Is it that she's run before? This would be Bernie Sanders' second time and Biden's third time. Is it lack of support? She had 65 million people vote for her. It was a mistake for Democrats to punish Clinton for the mistake she made in 2016. Chalking the loss up to her being a failed candidate is an oversimplification. She is smarter than most, tougher than most. She could raise money easier than most. It was an absolute fight to the death. When asked about the likelihood of her running, Reigns responded, it is somewhere between highly unlikely and zero, but it is not zero. Now, let me tell you something right now. Uh, there is a very, very higher than zero, much more realistic possibility than they're willing to talk about uh, that she will run. And that's why they're starting. It's at zero right now in terms of what the public really would expect and want. What they're trying to do is to start start rehabilitating that perception. They have to take it upon themselves to make the case, which is what here, the Hillary aide. What have I been telling you all along? There's an entire apparatus of people around her who believe that the height of their careers would come when she won that election. They have not gone away. They have not achieved what they set out to achieve, which was to get those different jobs. They all had the drapes picked out for their offices. They were ready to go. And that was all taken from them. They believe taken from them by the Russians. Right? They believe taken from them by this, uh, this unholy alliance between Putin and Trump and all these terrible shenanigans that went on behind the scenes. Uh, so the narrative, as I've been telling you, is that the only way to set right what happened in the past... The only way to make it all better was if they were able to now bring Hillary back and make her the president. Yes, it would be the third time around. But give Philippe Reigns some credit here. He's telling the truth about her age and about number of times running. It makes more sense for Hillary to run than Biden or Bernie. Makes more sense. First woman candidate won all those. She beat Bernie in the last primary. But this is also how desperate they are for a candidate that... The, the case for Hillary, from the Democrat perspective, the case for Hillary is more rational than the case for most of the other candidates that the Democrats are thinking about right now. And they just, you know what it is? They just can't stomach it. They just feel like they had to just choke down a lot of nasty stuff in order to push her once again after Obama came out of nowhere in that primary and defeat her. They, they have to do this. Or they had to do it. And there's a recognition, I think, deep down with a lot of them that they may have to do it again. And they will. They will. I am telling you, 
I think the chance that Hillary Clinton runs right now, if you're really to give Vegas odds on this, is more along the lines of 25%. I'm not saying it's likely, but I'm saying it's a serious, a serious shot that she decides to run. And man, wouldn't that just be wild? We could replay the 2016 election in 2020 and all the same cast of characters all over again. I mean, I'm 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 not sure if people would. Well, no, it would be a it would be a ratings bonanza. Um, and the good news is, folks, that I'm very confident that if that were to happen, guess what? Trump would win again. I love Team Buck. I love doing this show every day because I get to share my thoughts with all of you all across the country and in some cases all over the world. It's incredible. But I also want you to be able to share your thoughts with me and with each other and not have to worry about left-wing bias or any of these social media moderators that decide that you're going to get shadow banned or you're just not going to see things in your feed anymore that are conservative. You know, you can't talk about guns because that's bad. What about the Second Amendment? Oh, that must be bad too. Snippy.com is the place you should go. Snippy.com is a new social media platform that gives you all the functionality that you're used to of posting, writing to each other, putting up videos, putting up photos, but it doesn't have any of that left-wing bias nonsense. Snippy.com is totally free to join, totally free to set up, to post, everything about it. S-N-I-P-P-Y.com. Again, S-N-I-P-P-Y.com. And also check out the Snippy app. The Democrats don't like being called an angry mob, but really, that's what they've become. They've gone so far left, they can't even believe that they're over there. They don't know what's going on. When you listen to Eric Holder talking about kicking... When they go low, we kick... Or Hillary Clinton saying what she said, which was so horrible. You cannot be civil. They just don't see it. Maxine Waters constantly, day in and day out, ranting and raving they're losing it and they shouldn't be we should be a unified country it'll happen someday but the choice could not be more clear democrats produce mobs republicans produce jobs jobs not mobs it's one of the rallying cries that Republicans have going into this midterm election, and I think it's a I think it's a powerful one because we see we see how the mobs act. We see when they show up and where they show up and, and who they target. And we clearly struck a nerve, as we've seen, because the people that try to run interference for the Democrats really don't like the usage of this term mob. But then they get into this other problem of, well, hold on a second. If you don't like the term mob, maybe don't form mobs. Don't try to redefine mob to mean something else, which is what they did, as as astonishing as that was. Um, but Republicans talk about jobs. They talk about ways that cutting regulation helps small businesses, helps entrepreneurs. Democrats just want to get together in a big pity party and scream and yell and talk about fascism. This is where the, the cultures of the two parties are right now. You know, look, I know we're talking about you know, roughly half the country on one side and roughly half the country on the other. So we're talking about tens of millions of people. How do you generalize tens of millions of people? Well, the truth is that the ideological core of either the right or the left is not an averaging of where everyone is. It's often where the vanguard, where the elite, the, the leadership echelon takes it. 
and what the dominant culture is, which is usually top down, now the dominant culture is for that political party. And right now the Democrats have a culture of the mob, of being a bunch of political hooligans who like to track people down and engage in a kind of targeted stalking to uh, harass them. In fact, we have just yet yet another instance of this uh, where you have Ted Cruz, who, you know, is hated by the left. He's going to be hated even more when he completely crushes Beto O'Rourke in that upcoming election. But Ted Cruz was confronted at an airport by, yet yes, that's right, another crazy leftist. Play three. It was a victory for women in America. You think that putting a sexual assaulter on the court is a victory for women? Thank you, sir. God bless you. So you believe in men assaulting women? That's what your vote cost today, Senator. Uh, I believe in due process. You believe in due process? Lots of women were out there talking about their stories. And you don't Do you care. believe in a man lying about his alcohol to, in front of the Senate and perjury? Do you believe in perjury? Thank you for expressing your First Amendment rights. So why do you support a man that abuses women? Shame on you, Ted Cruz. God bless Shame you, ma'am. Shame on you, Ted Cruz. 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 She doesn't sound very well adjusted to me. Just putting that out there. Why, 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 do, you, why do you like someone who lies about his drinking? And... He didn't. This was one of the more pathetic lies about Kavanaugh. He didn't lie about his drinking. He said he drank sometimes, sometimes too much. When you start to try to play around with, well, like, it's not too much. It's like way, way too much. That's a lie. That is completely subjective. And that in, in no rational universe does that would that qualify as perjury. Uh, but you heard people saying that he lied about his drinking. He did not lie about his drinking. He said he didn't black out. And he said that he would drink too much sometimes. Uh, the Democrats went so far as to try to put high school and college beer drinking on trial in an effort to try to stop Kavanaugh. It was pathetic. It just goes to show you that they have no scruples. Nothing stops them. Nothing prevents them from, you know, just going all in on this stuff. But that was Ted Cruz in an airport being heckled, uh, being, you know, yelled at by people who are clearly angry at him. And I wish I could be there, well, for a lot of reasons. One is to just say to them, Ted Cruz didn't do anything to you. It would never occur to me, and I know it would never occur to any of you listening to this, to go up to a stranger and just start getting up in that person's face and yelling at them because of what they stand for publicly. When it, it, just, it just would never occur to me. Now, I'm not saying to talk to somebody, to engage somebody. If you want, it's an elected representative, you can go up and talk. But this is yelling. This is heckling. This isn't, they're not trying to have a conversation. They're like, shame, shame, Ted Cruz, you're terrible. This is not meant to in any way be constructive. They're, they're not engaging Ted Cruz. They're mobbing Ted Cruz. This is what they do. They like to form mobs. It also reminded me when she started to say all these women came forward to tell their stories. This was a sensitive area of the whole Kavanaugh uh, situation that I don't think I spoke to you much about, and, and it's not because I, did, I was unwilling to or didn't want to, I just had so much else going on there. But you had all these women who were coming forward and were telling their stories of being sexually assaulted. And that's, if, if any woman who wants to do that, that's obviously her right, and she deserves you know support and sympathy. But that created this very dangerous to do process 
phenomenon of, well, it, it, because something bad happened to me and the person lied and got away with it, or because I didn't bring charges uh, because someone attacked me, speaking again for other people here in the third person, it means that this, this case should be influenced by that. That's, that's crazy. This is just a, it's not just a foul, it's not just a logical fallacy, it's a dangerous thing for people to believe. You know, imagine if I had a, uh, I, I was on trial for uh, stealing, right? I was on tri- trial for stealing, for fraud. And people started showing up at my trial and they were saying, well, someone stole from me, so he must be guilty. You'd say, well, that's irrelevant. It's completely irrelevant. But for the left, it was a widespread talking point, the whole Kavanaugh thing. You'd hear people, and I, I, I saw other people that I know from the media world, too. There were other talking heads who said, I want to come forward and talk about my sexual assault now. And again, that's fine for context and background and all that. But just because somebody was sexually assaulted by some guy who's not Brett Kavanaugh does not mean that that has anything to do with whether Brett Kavanaugh is guilty of any kind of sexual assault or not. This is really elementary stuff. And that this was uh, something that people were losing sight of, and a lot of people were losing sight of, just, I think, went to show how completely over-the-top and, and over-politicized this entire thing had, had become. Uh, there, there is a, a mass hysteria in this country. The Democrats have reached this point where I don't think that they're thinking uh, logically about many of these issues. They just want to show emotion. They want to show rage and they want to signal their virtue to the world, and they don't want to engage in debates or or discussions on any of this. They just expect that other people will listen to them. Other people will hear uh, their thoughts, and because, especially in the left, there's so much claiming of victim status now, and everyone's saying, oh, I'm a victim, so you have to listen to me, Uh, their expectation is that they won't have to justify these ideas, That, that the justification just comes from the emotion behind it and from the identity of the particular speaker, right? The justification then becomes, well, because I feel this way, um, everyone else has to value my thoughts on it because I suffered some terrible tragedy. It was very uh, troubling to see this happening. And it's a mob mentality. I mean, to bring this back to what Trump is saying here, you know, do you want people who easily get swept up into mob thinking to be the ones who are electing representatives who also whip up the mob in this way. And you know, there's been not nearly enough condemnation of the kinds of tactics that the left has been embracing recently. And I think there's been a lot, well, we know there's been a lot of endorsing of it, but there's been not nearly uh, enough. And I, and I find that uh, find that disquieting, to say the least. So there you have it. But, you know, if we're going to talk disquieting, Stupid celebrities are all over the place. You know this. There's all kinds of dumb celebrities everywhere. Uh, you had uh, Kirsten or Kristen or whatever Bell saying that Snow White is a cartoon character that gives her, or is a story, a fairy tale that uh, troubles her now because of the lack of consent. Because, you know, she gets kissed while she's asleep in a coma from the magic spell. I didn't think people were trying to take any of this uh, literally. Um, but it turns out, it turns out I may be wrong on that one. It turns out that uh, that there are people who take fairy tales literally. Um, but if we're going to talk about celebrities who 
I don't know how it is that they are treated with as much respect when it comes to their politics as they are. Um, but, you know, we've got to get into uh, Rosie, Rosie O'Donnell coming up here in, in just a moment. Rosie O'Donnell, who has some thoughts to share with you that I'm not sure you want to hear, but uh, you'll hear them all right. Oh, you know, we're going to talk about uh, feminism and, and how toxic it is later on in the show. But I just thought this is a funny Kleenex. This is just a, a quick uh, quick throwaway. See what I did there? Quick throwaway. Kleenex is rebranding its man-sized tissues as extra large after complaints of sexism. That just broke today. You can't have man-sized tissues anymore, folks. They're only XL tissues now because it is sexist. That's right. They say it is sexist to call tissues man size. Now, is it sexist to refer to someone's large hands as man hands, like in that Seinfeld episode? I, I assume it is, too. Oh, man, these these people, it's like they don't have enough to do. And and they've created such a hysteria around this now. At least, I think you can still say Texas-sized. I remember there were some restaurants, there was a, a chain of restaurants in New York where you'd get a mixed drink, and if you ordered it Texas-sized, it was huge. It was like if you filled your, your Stetson with a whole lot of, um, SoCo and Lime or something, which SoCo and Lime is, is pretty gross. But regardless, uh, Kleenex, no longer man size. But uh, Rosie O'Donnell, she's somebody that we are going to be discussing here in just a moment because she's talking about the mob and the mob, mob mentality. She's got some stuff to add to that in just a moment. Yeah. I got physically sick that night, and I thought to myself, this cannot be happening because when he got the nomination, I thought, well, we just got to wait till election day. That's all I have to do is hold on till then. Mm -hmm. And then that he won, you know, it took me a good year to compose myself to be in public again. Mm -hmm. I took a year out of the the spotlight. And you, I mean, I'm sure you didn't, you would have wanted to be proven wrong, but the first thing he did was pass the Muslim ban. Yes. I mean, mean, he came into office and did all the things that you probably knew about him. When he was elected, what I wrote on Twitter was, we should impose martial law till we make sure that the Russians weren't involved in the final tallies of the votes. And Bob Mueller has indicted 13 Russians for election meddling. And people were like, martial law, what's wrong with you? You're a lunatic. Well, he wants to send the military to the border, so. I want to send the military to the White House to get him. (laughs) 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 That's actually a pretty good idea. Uh, That's right. They all laugh. See, that was a whole panel of MSNBC analysts. Um, They all laugh. And and sure enough, um, they they laugh and they think it's all so funny to talk about how the president of the United States they, they wish that they had sent the military to to depose him. These are not rational, normal people. Uh, they have had they have had some kind of a mental break uh, because look, I understand that it was a joke, but it's not a funny joke, and it's a very weird thing to say. And if you had said that, if you had made jokes, just just think of it this way. If you had made jokes during the Obama administration about how you had hoped the military, you'd hoped the military would take it upon itself to depose Obama from office, nobody would have thought that was funny. And keep in mind that when Obama was, was president or early on in his presidency, we didn't have a special counsel that was completely fabricated by a collusion between the media and the Democrats to take down a presidency. Didn't have that. You didn't have senior government officials, including the deputy director and director of the F or former director and deputy of the FBI who abused their power 
and could have even been facing criminal charges because of the extent of that abuse. You didn't have, during the Obama administration, federal government employees who were willing to leak highly sensitive information in violation of the law, in violation of their oaths, their ethics, uh, in order to smear senior Obama administration officials, okay? You did not have anything even close to a deep state or a cabal. And yet, even with all that, people would not have found it in the least bit funny to have made a joke about how Obama was, you know, the military should have deposed him or there should have been martial law. Why does why does Rosie O'Donnell even get to sit on MSNBC and have this discussion? And what does she have to bring to the table? She's a, a comedian slash actress who says incredibly ignorant things about politics all the time. Yet she's given this platform on Ugh, it's hard to say. On MSNBC. See, even radio hosts, sometimes you stumble. Yeah, stumble, it happens. Um, but she's given it, I suppose they would say, because she has a following, but, man, you want to talk about corrupting people's minds. You hear a lot of political talk from, from Rosie O'Donnell. That's, that's, not, uh, that's not encouraging to me, at least. Not, not in the least. Oh, and also, you want to talk about corrupting minds. Cory Booker, who thinks he's going to run for president in this country, likes to talk about uh, how great things are in Canada right now. Ah, that's not a surprise. Play clip 10. Every country we are competing with is driving down the cost of college. Germany costs between 0 and 4% of median income to go to college. Canada, I can't stand how they're out-Americaning us in Canada. True, no. Give me a break. <laughs> costs about 6 to 7% of median income to go to college. What does it cost in America? 52% of median income. And why are other nations out-Americaning us? Why are they out-investing in infrastructure that we, the way we used to? Why are they out-investing in research and development the way we used to? Why are they out-investing in education the way we used to? Yeah. Explain why they're doing all those things, Cory Booker. Because they're not. Maybe you should stick to the silly speeches like I am Spartacus and leave the theorizing about investment and growth and uh, industry and research and development to people who actually know what the heck they're talking about. Uh, you know, th- there's a reason why people from all over the world, by the way, want to come to university here. We're not, Americans aren't like, yeah, send me to university somewhere else. That's not how it goes. Everybody wants to come here. So while I do think college is too expensive, there there is a a component of this where it's what the market will bear, folks. Uh, and then he talks about research and development, out Americaning us. What does that even mean? In in, in what way? It, it's just these are the things that Democrat politicians say because it sounds smart to not very smart people. And I know that can be kind of harsh, but it's true. It's true. The Trump approach is just to say very straightforward, basic things to people that they know to be true, to talk to them like normal people, and they get it, they're on board, and then to take action based upon those common sense things. I I much prefer that to the kind of poll-tested, you know, out-Americaning America or whatever. Oh, my gosh. Cory Booker, only slightly better chances of running for the presidency in 2020 than, than Hillary Clinton, I think. Um... Or, or than Elizabeth Warren. Uh, Elizabeth Warren's not running. Hillary's definitely running before Elizabeth Warren runs, so that tells you about how good Elizabeth Warren's chances are right now. Last year you went with Paul Ryan, who's a Boy Scout, and that's fine, but a little boring. 
So this year you wanted to spice things up again, right? I get it. You wanted an Indian woman, but Elizabeth Warren failed her DNA test. Actually, when the president found out that I was Indian American, he asked me if I was from the same tribe as Elizabeth Warren. Wrecked. I think that's what the kids say. Wrecked. That is... I, mean, I, I smell I smell burnt toast. That's what they used to say when I played basketball when somebody would go by you and score. I smell burnt toast. Um, or broken ankles. I heard that ankle break, you know, but wrecked is another version of that. Nikki Haley there at the Al Smith dinner uh, talking about the Elizabeth Warren. Just, I don't know. I mean, the Elizabeth Warren maneuver earlier this week. I know we've talked about a lot. I'm not going to get much more into it now. But that was the equivalent, the political equivalent of being the incredibly sunburned, pudgy kid who, in front of everybody at, like, the summer pool, just decides to go into the deep end, get up on the high dive, and for his first time just goes for it without telling mom and dad, and just does one of those belly flops. Remember, he's sunburned. You know that belly flop when you hear and see it and you just go, oh, like, it it hurts you to watch it, and it makes that splat sound that only the really bad, embarrassing belly flop can make. That's the that's politically what Elizabeth Warren did here. You're just like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with you? And CNN got caught up in it too. I mean, you should have gone back and seen the the coverage they had on New Day and some of these. And yeah, I know, I was arguing with the CNN exec on Twitter, and it got turned into a few news stories in a few places because. Buck don't play. If CNN wants to try to try to bring the ruckus, they better they better come correct, as they say. Because I am not I'm not going to sit around and be like, yeah, you sure you guys are you know gold standard of journalism. Please, I know what goes on over there. I've been over there. Um, but but you know you look at uh, you look at what happened with Warren this week and CNN when they started their coverage of it was just you know you had Allison Cameron like oh, DNA results have been dropped that show that the... oh yeah the DNA results show that Elizabeth Warren can't do math or isn't very smart or both uh, or is just i think i think delusional that's probably the most likely outcome there but nikki haley uh, did a good job at the al smith dinner and it was she had some great opportunities there and she took them with with some good jokes and i do think that her move all along here has been she's good with she's in good with the trump people she's going to help donald trump win a second term she is a perfect candidate to run uh, once Trump has had a second term, I don't. People are saying Pence. I don't know about that. I I don't see Pence at the at that level. But you know, I've I've been wrong before, as has everybody who tries to make these kinds of predictions. Uh, speaking of predictions, I did say at least on Rising earlier this week that uh, Mnuchin would not go. Steve Mnuchin, the uh, Treasury Secretary, would not go to Saudi Arabia after what had happened with Khashoggi. We don't have really much in the way of new developments on that. I would note. There are still people who are spending a lot of time covering the story, but there's not a lot out there in terms of new verifiable uh, facts. And I've got to say, you know, that's it's just going to be at the end exactly what I thought, which is that the the Saudis are going to say that this was a rogue operation. Um, But beating up on Trump was clearly what a lot of this has been about all along. And, uh, you know, and, and Bernie Sanders, sometimes I get a little caught up and it's like, you know, he's Bernie Sanders. He's kind of funny. He's kind of old. You know, he's like, hey, I'm Bernie. It's Bernie's night. 
and the mood is right for socialism. Um, but then I remember that he's actually a far-left progressive and, and will say a lot of things that are very annoying and very, very untrue. Uh, and, and he went after Trump on this whole issue of, of Khashoggi this, uh, in the last 24 hours, and, and I, I was disappointed in the burn. Play 16. He is not such a tough guy when he has to deal with his billionaire friends in Saudi Arabia who just tortured and murdered a courageous journalist. Not such a tough guy on that one. Not such a tough guy when he's trying to actually read a balance sheet and recognizes that you can't give people free things forever with no one paying for them. No, not tough then, I suppose. Bernie's got I, Bernie's not going to be 2020 either. It's just not it's just not there anymore. That 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 Bernie magic such as it was, it's not there. Uh, but this is an ignorant position, the one that he takes here that that somehow Trump is the one who Trump is so cozy with Saudi Arabia. He's got all these business interests there. I, I asked a uh, an ethics he guys part of some NGO that does ethics or whatever. I forget what it what it's even called. I said, so what what exactly is Trump's supposed to do here so that he doesn't get told all the time that he has business interests that are being affected by something. Uh, and I get so bored with this, oh, Trump owns this hotel or that hotel, and people are going there and spending money there, so they're going to buy him. Oh, okay, so I can now go to a hotel. Think about this. The, the way that they talk about Trump and Saudis and these business deals, or or rather just his hotel and how there are Saudis that will stay there in D.C., uh, by, by liberal logic on this matter... I could go stay at a Hilton hotel somewhere and and think that I'm having influence on the thinking or or the or really that that I've bought off Conrad Hilton or whoever the heir to the Hilton or the guy who's I think it's Conrad Hilton but that's liberal thinking now. That's right. The Saudis by by spending some money in a hotel that Trump owns a part of uh they now have too much sway over his over his foreign policy. I mean that's that's pretty ridiculous, but it, it's the way that they want to take this now is you can't be a business owner. You can't be somebody who's in the private sector and be a president. You have to be a lifelong bureaucrat. I think that I think the Democrats would prefer that. But the Saudi issue has just been turned into a bash Trump issue, and it's going to continue to be that because no matter what he does, realistically, they're going to be all over him. And they're going to say, oh, well, you know, and I've seen this reporting also about Jared and how you know, Jared has had back channel conversations and they, they talk about this like they've really discovered something. And I'm always amazed. I say they, they haven't they got nothing. I mean, they got less than Mueller with all this stuff here, but they stay with it anyway. They keep pushing this storyline that Trump is so sweet, so sweet to Saudi Arabia. He's just in, in the Saudi Arabian pocket. And you go back, you look at all the photos. Look at Obama's bowing to the king of Saudi Arabia, literally bowing to him. Look at the photo, remember? And then they said it wasn't a bow, and it's like, oh, so Obama just kind of stumbled at exactly the moment that he shook this guy's hand for a photo app. He just, by the way, that wasn't something that was just a mean conservative thing. Obama used to bow to people because he thought it was sophisticated to be in foreign countries and bow all the time. I, it, it was not, it wasn't cool. I did not like seeing the president bow. It wasn't a big deal either, but it really was a thing. And I remember I had liberal friends who were like, it's not a thing. No, no, it is. Obama liked to bow. He did. And he did like to go on the apology tour, the Middle East. How'd that work out? Syria, Libya, Iran, etc. 
Quislings meekly march in lockstep behind a morally disabled president. I don't know how you do it. It's appalling. People are just trying to make liberals scream and cry. And they laugh about it, right? Like there's a mug that they'll hold up, say liberal tears, and they laugh as they drink it. The cruelty is the point of that. They voted for the cruel person who demeans and diminishes people. I don't understand how you overlook misogyny, sexism, racism. I don't understand how you can just sit back and say, you know what, all of that's okay because I'm gonna get, you know, all of these judges elected or I'm gonna get a tax break. I, I just think that there's, that, that that's not what it means to be American. You know, you're hearing a pretty good overview there of what the real Democrat pitch is to vote for them in the midterm election. It's not that they've got some idea of how to fix the economy. It's not that they have some plan in mind that's going to bring more jobs or that will uh, secure the border, will fix immigration, which really means fix enforcement. We should stop saying fix immigration and start saying fix enforcement because that's where the problem lies. But they really do think that they're going to get people to turn out and vote by just calling everyone racist and misogynist and sexist. I find these to be among the most boring arguments that we are forced to have all the time. And, and it really just goes, I think, to how deluded and brainwashed so many people on the left have become that they don't realize just how tiresome these allegations are. Oh, it's every, everything is racist. Everyone is racist. Everyone is sexist. Everyone's a misogynist. And when you say this to people who don't care what a person's race is, don't judge them by their skin color and love a lot of women in their lives and treat women with dignity all the time and are completely respectful to women, they just start to tune out all the rest of it because it's cheap. It's dishonest. Uh, this, as a line of attack against Trump and against everybody around him, is just going for the lowest common denominator, and it's mudslinging in place of ideas, mudslinging in, in place of policy. I, mean, I, had to, I had to laugh with that one. I don't even know who it was, which commentators. Like, they're, like, taking mugs full of let's say liberal tears and drinking them and i'm just like like my tears right now are real i like it's like why are they doing this to me i wish that they would also get a little bit more of a sense of humor a sense of humor that didn't revolve around mocking and ridiculing uh christians and uh white males all the time i mean white males we can take it i mean the stuff about christians that they do is particularly uh, nasty you know that's really it's not meant to be laughing with it's laughing at all the time but liberals don't have a sense of humor anymore. Now, this is why you see these polls about political correctness and how anybody who's paying attention knows that political correctness is a cancer in our society. It is destructive. It doesn't add anything to society. It doesn't make us better as, as people. It just creates uh, incentives to make politics all about personal destruction and also allows some of the most annoying stone-faced, unhappy, miserable, petty people in our society to get to write and then rewrite rules about how all the rest of us have to live all the time. I've said it before. It's really important. Trump got a lot of support in the early days because he just said political correctness is garbage. He just said it's garbage. He didn't say, oh, you know, we shouldn't be so politically correct, but I understand why people are coming from it. No, no, no. It's garbage. And it is. So destructive to society, so destructive to uh, our ability to talk to each other as normal people, just to have normal conversations. I get frustrated. I, I sit here, I do this show. There's so many times where I think, oh, that's a joke that I could make. It'll, it'll run through my mind. I could make that joke. And 99% of 
the people listening, of you, the wonderful people who listen to this show, who do really mean so much to me every day, 99% of you would be like, oh, that's really funny. Or maybe maybe even you know, 90% of you would think it was funny. 9% of you would think, meh, it wasn't that great. And then 1%, though, of the libs listening or 1% of the people that includes Media Matters and some of the other maniacs that listen to this show, uh, they would have a problem with it and they would take it and try to twist it and use it as a weapon against me. And it's just not worth the risk. And it's really hard to do any kind of comedy. It's really hard to because comedy entails risks, right? You're, you're trying to push boundaries. You're trying to, and I'm, I'm not a comedian, but I do some funny stuff here and there. And I certainly wish I could do even more amusing uh, takes on commentary on politics than I do. But it, I just know that, you know, you, you run up against this, uh, this third rail that's a mobile third rail. Right? They, they, it's not like it stays in one place. You don't know how close you're getting to it because they'll, change the rules and they'll change what's going on around you based upon their ability to get you when they want when they want to get you it's just so uninspiring though i mean back to the the way that they're using these calls of racism and misogyny these allegations as really a primary uh primary means to get people to go out and vote for democrats that's the best they can do you know, I, I they're they're talking about healthcare a little bit, and basically Trump is a racist and Trump is a misogynist and all these other things. You know, they they also seem to forget that we haven't forgotten that Bill Clinton. Hey, ladies, I haven't seen you in a little while. I just want you to come over. Who wants to take a selfie with me? Just watch where that hand goes. You know, I just don't know. It's got a mind of its own. You know, Bill Clinton's out there as somebody who is still very respected in Democrat circles. In fact, Hillary went out and said recently that there's no power imbalance with the president of the United States. She said this in an interview, what was it, a week ago? There's no, no, no power imbalance between the president of the United States and an intern in the White House that he was having uh, relations, relations with. Um, she, still, she still will say stuff like that. And, of course, she thinks she's still running for president, which is... It should give us all uh, nightmares. Hello! But it, it really should be the stuff of, of bad dreams. But I think it, it could become our reality before before too long. This is the thing, though. There, there's, a, there's a joylessness at the heart of, of the Democrat political ideology these days. It's all about uh, making sure that no one... You know, there used to be this old... I forget who it is uh, who said it. I want to say it's Mencken, but it might not be H.L. Mencken. But, you know, a, a Puritan is somebody who lives with the constant fear that someone somewhere might be having a good time. And you find that increasingly true of Democrats. You know, a, a Democrat is somebody who's constantly in fear of someone somewhere saying anything interesting, radical, new, different, you know, breaking down old paradigms and, and enjoying themselves while they do it, you know, enjoying themselves while they try to challenge the dominant political orthodoxy. Democrats get terrified by that. They so desire conformity in discussions all the time. In fact, they desire telling you what words you can use in the discussion and, and who can and who can use what kinds of words. So many constraints put on this all, always. I mean, I just, it would be easy for me to switch, you know, in, in my head if I wanted to and, and become a Democrat, just call everybody, every conservative, everyone on the other side is racist all the time. Everything is sexism. Everything is intersectionality. It's just exhausting, though, isn't it, to, to think that way? You you think about what it really must be like to be some of these uh, 
just joyless, radical feminists that I've seen recently and had to talk to a few times uh, in the last few months because of the whole Kavanaugh situation who really do think of women as this terribly oppressed and marginalized minority in society, even though they're actually a majority by population. But they really think of themselves this way. And there's a constant chip-on-the-shoulder attitude for all their interactions with men, always. It's just not a good way to go through life. It's just not a, a happy, healthy way to be. And increasingly, I think for Democrats, you know, it's uh, it's like a sugar high politically. You know, oh, you get to do all the virtue signaling and you get to feel like you're so brave and tall on issues where you're taking what is the most convenient issue for you politically, socially, and professionally as a Democrat. Uh, but at the end of the day, isn't it just, doesn't it feel kind of hollow to never have to really engage the other side and just call them racist and misogynist? I don't know. I hope people think about this as they go and, and they vote or they think about whether they're they're going to vote or not. It's definitely worth spending some time on. I've got some in my hand right now. Black Rifle Coffee. It's like having a warm cup of freedom that keeps you energized and ready to fight the fights that matter. Black Rifle Coffee is delicious. I mean, I'm kind of a frou-frou bourgeois city guy when it comes to my coffee because I really do care where the beans come from, how they've been roasted, and how they taste. Black Rifle Coffee gives you all of that, and it's also a company that is owned and operated by veterans, including many members of U.S. Special Operations who have gone out now into the world to create a fantastic brand that's all about patriotism, veterans, and freedom, and some kick-ass delicious coffee, too. Go to BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Buck. You'll get 15% off your order. You can have it delivered right to your door. Couldn't be any easier. Again, it's all right there for you on the website, BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Buck. This should be the coffee that everyone who listens to this show drinks, and everybody should go to BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Buck. Here in Texas, the big race, Beto O'Rourke versus Ted Cruz. If you had to make a decision right now, who do you think you would support? Beto. I would probably vote for Beto. Of what I know, definitely Beto. I would do Beto, especially because I'm like a woman. I think I would go for the Democrat. Are there any accomplishments in his career that you can point to that would make him a good person for office? Um, I am not aware of a lot of specific accomplishments that he has made. Are there any accomplishments of Beto's that you would point to? I, I don't know any, so I can't say anything okay. for that. Is there anything you can point to as things that be like, yeah, he has accomplished this? Um, I think he's accomplished, like, honestly getting his name out there. I think for not doing much, it sounds like he's really... But it's just being popular yeah. an accomplishment, though, like career accomplishments. I, I honestly couldn't point to anything. I'm just trying to, you know, I'm not as educated as I would like to be. Those same people that are probably saying that Beto has no experience probably go to a job and they don't get hired and complain about the same thing oh i don't have any experience but who gives me that experience mm -hmm. it's the same concept man like he may not have any experience but there's probably the experience he needs to push this stuff forward you know okay, there's a difference between like an entry-level job and the united states senate though right okay i see what you're saying but you can be um as informed about a position without actually doing it can you think of any better or work accomplishments uh, unless you count going to jail for DWI an accomplishment, then uh, no. Wow! At least we had at least we had this one last woman there who who knew something about Beto O'Rourke. That was from Campus Reform. I, I gotta say, I love it, man. They 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 come out of the gate and they're just like, okay, so everybody we're gonna talk to on this campus, pretty much, not everybody, but a lot of them, they like they like Beto. 
Why do you like Beto? You know what the answer is? Because the media tells them to. Because he's kind of young-ish and they think he's telegenic and liberal. And this whole storyline is that he's going to be able to beat Ted Cruz. And the left hates Ted Cruz because he is a very uh, smart conservative constitutionalist and they just don't want to have to deal with him. So they love this idea of going right into the heart of... I mean, look, this is the equivalent of the left. If we sent a Republican Senate candidate to take on Kamala Harris, right? And somebody who's very important to the left in the stronghold of the Democratic Party, which is California. But you'll notice that they keep doing this, right? The Democrats keep saying this was happening. And then, and then it doesn't happen, meaning that it's not close. And with Beto... It's important to ask people what are his accomplishments or what does he stand for because you'll hear that they support him and they don't know what he stands for and they don't care because they've been told there is a brainwashing that goes on with the media. That's what this is. And, you know, here's a, here's a perfect example of of the uh, self-licking ice cream cone that is the, that is the media. Here is CNN's Donna Bash. Not Dana, Donna Bash. And uh, here's here's her talking about just just sort of setting the scene for this what really turned into an infomercial for Beto O'Rourke. I mean, they just had a a town hall. CNN's like, yeah, we'll have Beto O'Rourke. We'll just let him go around and answer questions. That's how invested in this they are. Play clip six. According to CNN's latest poll, Wolf, it's a seven point race and Ted Cruz has that seven point advantage. It was a bit tighter at the end of the summer. But the fact that we are even here in ruby red Texas talking about a a very hot Senate race, a headliner Senate race, uh, is very telling. And one of the big reasons is because of the Democratic challenger, Beto O'Rourke. He has gotten national buzz in a very big way, particularly among Democrats from the East Coast to the West Coast, and of course here in Texas as well, particularly in the big cities. Yeah, he's gotten a lot of buzz, all right. I, I thought that was that was brilliant. She's like, the fact that we are even here in Texas talking about a very high, uh, very hot Senate race is very telling. That's another way of seeing it saying, yeah, like isn't it crazy that like here we are having to be covering this thing that we've made the decision to cover? So that tells you that like it clearly has to be covered. Right. Exactly. They are manufacturing this whole story. It's, it's not I'm not saying there's nothing there, but it's not nearly as interesting or as close or, or anything else as they pretend a seven seven point deficit in the Senate race. Oh, and it's only trending up for Ted Cruz. I've been saying this. He's going to win by 10 points. It's not even close. He's going to crush this guy. Remember, this is a Senate race. It's not some district. You should think that they'd have a better sense of what's going to happen statewide, but they have no idea, none whatsoever. Or I shouldn't say they have no idea. That's not true, see? They want to tell people what they want to tell them. And they've been pushing this this storyline all, all along. Uh, Cinderella story, Cinderella story out of nowhere. Uh, so they've been pushing this, and now they're realizing that it's, it's not actually going to be anything like what they had pretended it was. But same thing, as I said, with John Ossoff and with Wendy Davis and these other media darling candidates who get all this, remember, Media coverage is money, folks. This is one thing that you that we never really get to talk about. But when we discuss the mainstream media advantage, and you get all these people who will go on media, go on media outlets, and say, oh, we need to take the money out of politics. When CNN decides that they're going to do flood-the-zone coverage of some, uh, some favorite candidate of theirs who has no shot of really winning, it's essentially an in-kind donation to that candidate. 
You know, when, when they decide to really focus in and push a narrative on somebody, it look, what do most candidates spend their money on? Candidate, or rather, what do candidates spend most of their money on? Also, most of them do this. Uh, they spend most of their money on TV buys. That's where the money goes. That's right. Getting their message out on TV. Well, they have to pay for that, and the campaigns also have to say, you know, sponsored by or you know, paid for by the blah, blah, blah campaign. If if you have news networks that will just give you that coverage, give you that ability to reach audience for free and do it in a very favorable way with soft, you know, cream puff interviews and town halls where the other candidate's not there and all this stuff. This is just an in-kind donation. I mean, CNN, MSNBC, and others are giving in-kind donations to Democrat candidates that they pick all the time. All the time. And people say, oh, Buck, what about Fox? Yeah, Fox supports conservative candidates. Fox is one network. One. The left has ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, PBS, CNN. Those are the ones that come to mind right away. You know, BBC, BBC America, Al Jazeera. That's right. We know Al Jazeera always likes the Democrats. The whole thing such a it really is such a such a debacle, such an embarrassment. Speaking of debacles though, Kristen Cinema. She has learned we've learned some interesting things about her, including that, you know, she's like, yeah, maybe, maybe uh fighting for the Taliban back in the day if you're an American. You know, no big deal there. She's got no problem with that. I wanted to like Kristen Cinema, because I don't know, I like the glasses and you know her whole vibe. I, I wanted to be okay with her. I was obviously a McSally voter if I could vote there, but but cinema's had a rough go because the more you find out about her, the more you find out she's just kind of a kooky leftist and putting her in charge and giving her any power would be pretty insane. Play 15. Are you a Democrat? I am. Proud Democrat? Oh my gosh, it's hard to say proud. I don't know that, I'm not sure that people are even proud of parties anymore because I feel like the parties are ugh, not doing a good job. So I would say that I'm a proud Arizonan. That's mm. something I'm very proud of. Um, and I'm proud of the work that I have done in Washington, D.C., and the work I've done in the state Senate and the state House before going uh, to Congress. But I'm not particularly proud of the parties. Not proud of the parties. Well, you know, I've got news for you, Kristen Cinema. I don't think the parties are that proud of you. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think the Democrat Party is going to be all that excited uh, about your candidacy when you get when you get pretty thoroughly walloped by McSally, which is about to happen as well. Remember, these these were the races that were they were telling us were going to be close, going to be really important to see what ends up happening with these races. You know, these are bellwethers for whether Trump is going to have a, a pretty clear pathway to re-election in 2020. And nope, not the case. What we see is they were pushing this all along for their own purposes, and then they decided that in the last minute, they're going to start putting out these polls like, yeah, okay, maybe it wasn't as close as we said and everything else. You don't say, folks. What a shock. What a shock. Um, it, it's just, it's so typical. And that's why I really like holding their feet to the fire over this one because they're just digging in even more. And we have all this empirical evidence now, all this data to show about how they call races close that aren't. And by the way, the races haven't even, the elections haven't even happened yet, but I know, you know. Cinema's going to lose. Uh, you know, Beto O'Rourke's going to lose. You get these candidates the media is all excited about and act like, oh, it's going to be amazing. And it's not amazing. And it never was going to be amazing. It's just all mythology constructed by the Democrat-dominated media apparatus. So, you know, I, I see it coming. You see it coming. 
and we'll continue to be right. And the uh, the mainstream, I, I try not to ever say the lamestream media because I think that's a little too corny. But the uh, mainstream media is going to continue doing what they're doing as well, which is to lie and be wrong a lot. But let's remember, Jim Acosta is the same person that's been covering Trump and the campaign and had death threats directed yeah. at him. He's also had, you know, people chanting in his face, CNN sucks. My good friend Don Lemon has had death threats, uh, blamed a lot of the Trump um, rallies and sort of that fervor right. on the death threats against a lot of CNN reporters in Atlanta. My colleague, former colleagues are afraid to go to work. So I think the tone comes from the top. I don't recall a time when we heard this kind of attack on freedom of the press on our first amendment and i think it started with this president reporters are not the first amendment this this needs to be repeated over and over again for the people that go on tv and keep talking about this you know mainstream media does not equal the first amendment they're covered by the first amendment but you have the right to free speech just as any journalist does there's no special rights for the press. They don't seem to understand this. And they really, I think, are, are having this panic over Trump. One, because he, he, they just think that he culturally and stylistically represents something that's a, a threat to them, right? There's just all this, all this stuff about Trump in general upsets them. But even beyond that, got to tell you, you know, they claim to be speaking truth to power. You have all these journalists who are like, oh, we're so brave. We do all... Journalists think of themselves as incredibly brave and then cry like a bunch of babies all the time. This is something that I guess as somebody who's in the industry in some capacity, although I don't, I don't run around saying I'm a journalist. I do everything that journalists do. I just don't talk about myself in this third person like Buck is a great journalist because I think it's weird. I think it's kind of an old-fashioned model of looking at this business of information and analysis, which is really all, and entertainment, which is really all media is. But that was a, 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 one of the co-hosts on The View, and she's saying that CNN people are afraid to go to work because of Trump. They're not afraid to go to work, okay? They're more famous than they've ever been. They're incredibly, especially the, the ones the, whose names you know, they're incredibly highly paid. And if they weren't at CNN, there's no other place on the planet that would be paying them what they're getting paid. And you know what are we supposed to feel so uh, feel so sorry for them about? Because they what? Because they get death threats. Every conservative person in media I know gets death threats of any stature whatsoever. It happens all the time. Not only death threats, but constantly called the racist, constantly called the sexist. You know, told that they're rape apologists and and suffer real professional consequences for having conservative views. That's what liberals. That's what's so funny to me is that. They just run around in this echo chamber of everyone agrees with them, everyone tells them how great they are and how smart they are, and especially in the press and the media, they operate in this world where they're all kind of on the same team all the time. And then they turn around, they're like, oh my gosh, the president's saying mean things about us. You know, half the country has had to deal with most of their lives never hearing anyone in a position like the president take it to the mainstream media and this left-wing bias that is inherent and and just constant in so much of the reporting we see. And they just can't handle it now. I just think it's funny, though, because they want to hold themselves up for being brave, like they're the last line of defense against the insanity that is Trump. And then when I say to them, what has Trump done to you that is so damaging what what is it that trump has done that makes you think that you should be afraid like oh no what am i going to do they don't have anything no one's no one's losing their job because they've spoken out against trump 
Now, in fact, people get book deals for speaking out against Trump. In fact, the entire media apparatus is designed to make it more appealing to be anti than pro-Trump. Meanwhile, the people who are anti-Trump think that what they're doing is so hard. Why? Because they go to rallies and people are mean to them. People are mean to conservatives all the time. People are mean to conservatives in the grocery store for just saying what they think. Never mind being an actual conservative media figure. I'll tell you a quick uh, funny story. I was at the Baltimore train station yesterday, and a uh, young man walked past me, and I thought, oh, okay. And you know, he kind of did that stop and look, you know, stop and weird stare thing for us. Not weird stare, but you know what I mean, stop and intense stare. And, and he goes, he goes, hey, I was just watching you on Hill TV. And this was a, this was one of the first times this has ever happened. Because I usually think people see me, they'll be like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping it's somebody from Team Buck. Because then it's like I'm stumbling upon one of my long-lost family members. Because uh, if you're somebody who listens to this radio show, we tend to be very tight. But no, it wasn't somebody who was a radio listener. He says, oh, you know, it's I was just watching you on TV on the Hill.com. That's so cool. And he says, you know, I'm such a big fan of Crystal, your co-host. And I said, oh, yeah, Crystal's wonderful. He goes, yeah, I'm a community organizer in North Carolina. And he told me his name. And I said, well, I really appreciate you watching the show. But you know, sure enough, yeah, that's right. A community organizer in North Carolina. I don't think he's listening to this radio show very much. But he was very nice, very polite, very polite gentleman. And uh, he went about his way. It's kind of funny, though. Like, yeah, as soon, as soon as he told me he's a community organizer, I don't think he listens to my radio show. I think he might just see me up on the hill. Uh, but this is not this is not really all that complicated. It's really not, not all that hard to figure out. Uh, the press generally does what is in their interest to do, right? And for most people, that means going where the jobs and the money are, which is to the left, and going to the place where you know that every other reporter... And think of it this way. If you're a conservative journalist or conservative media person, and you're in... The uh, let's say you're in a, a press scrum outside the Oval Office. The 10 or 15 people that are around you that all work for, you know, the Associated Press, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the you know, all this, the Reuters, all these places, they all kind of like and agree. They all like each other and they agree with each other on most political matters. If you happen to be the one person from Fox, the Daily Caller, any of these places, uh, you happen to be the conservative from the Hill.com, for example. Everyone around you thinks that you're some kind of a weirdo who is way too nice and favorable to the president and his agenda all the time, and you're con- you're considered very much on the outside. So you know, I just I think we should just be honest about this stuff. I don't think we have to keep playing this game anymore. We go, oh, it's so hard to go to work at CNN and CNN's such a bunch of babies. It's amazing. You know, they're they're always talking about how they're on the front lines doing all this hard reporting. You know, it's like just just slow your roll. Most of the time, when you're on the front lines doing reporting, you're staying at the Four Seasons. Okay, it's it's really not that hard. And you know, so they have a president that that pushes back a little bit on what is clearly fake news. I mean that that story that I told you that that Ann Coulter wrote her column on this week about Anna Cabrera, where she inserted the word white into two two very obvious, very well known uh, statements by the president and his son. That was fake news. That was a huge instance of fake news, and it took them days to correct it. And it only happened because they hate the president. So we, we know this. We know this. Um, and it just, after a while, I get sick of hearing it. I, I really want to pull over the wambulance for some of these different TV news. It's really the worst at CNN because, look, they've made their brand. They've made their bed. They should sleep in it. Their bed is, we are going to stop Trump. We are anti-Trump. Okay. Well, if that's who you are, and that's what, there is a there is an agenda at the organization. There's no question about it. 
And that's why when some CNN exec tried to get all hissy with me earlier in the week, I said, I'm sorry. You guys are not nonpartisan journalists. You are very partisan. Own it. Stop being phonies. Stop being fake, you could say. Yeah, that's right. I said it. Rock and roll, roll, fellow fellow patriots. patriots. We made ours go up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Roll Call on a Friday, which means double Roll Call. I hope you're all excited for the weekend. I am I am ready for it. I have a very, uh, very fantastic weekend plan involving a lot of sleeping, a lot of eating. I'm going to watch. I'm watching, I will tell you, I'm watching Peaky Blinders on Netflix, which I know is a little bit, I'm not particularly current right now. It's a little old, but wow, it is a really solid show. Although I have to say, sometimes those guys from those uh, tough towns circa 1920 uh, England, it's tough to understand them. You're like, wait, what? They're English people. Can't they speak a little English? It can be a little tough sometimes. I I like it, though. I have to say, I I think it's a pretty well done show. So if you're looking for one, you can check that one out. Rachel kicks off our roll call. Shields Highbuck, greetings from sunny Southern California. I hope the swamp isn't getting to you too much. I was just wondering how the plans to make rising a podcast were coming along. Thanks. You know, Rachel, um, there is no plan as of right now to make rising a podcast. It's kind of fallen by the wayside. So maybe that's something that I can raise with my team and say, hey, I've got an idea. Rising. A podcast. Maybe we should go for that. Um, but the most important thing is that all of you listen to this, especially those of you who listen on radio, know that you can always listen on demand and that we try to get the podcast up uh, as early as possible. Usually these days, the podcast should be ready for your listening enjoyment by 6 Eastern, maybe 7 Eastern each day. So we're getting it up earlier and earlier all the time. Uh Timothy writes, Shields High, Buck, you ask for a miracle, I give you the FBI, Hans Gruber in Die Hard. A friendly suggestion, add some lighter fare mixed in with the heavy-duty news. I had to listen to, uh, I had to stop listening to Wednesday's show when you're discussing the various attacks on conservatives because I was losing my cool. I must be be terrible living in the swamp, keep fighting the good fight, and get married already. Shields High. Timothy, all, all fair points, and I know some days... Uh, trust me, it really affects me. Some days the news cycle, it feels a little bit like just getting beaten down by the whole thing, it's, especially when you have these stories of, of conservatives who are getting attacked and, and are being uh, you know, physically accosted and all this stuff. I mean, there's just no place in a civilized society for people to be uh, not just physically attacked, but even hounded and mobbed in public uh, to be menaced in that way. It's completely, completely unacceptable. So uh, I'm with you on all that. And as for lighter fare, trust me, there are many days when I wish I could do more of a, a comedic segment toward the end of the show. But I'll tell you, comedy is something that you have to be both in the mood for and you have to be able to put forth the energy. And that's something that I, I can't say uh, is there all the time when you're doing all the things that I've got going on these days to really do the, the comedy. 
I always used to remember when I would fill in for Rush Limbaugh and occasionally I would do like, Dieter, the voice like up here, like Gutentag, and then talk about Kaiser Wilhelm de Blasio. And some people loved it. I mean, you, you, they would write to me like, oh, I couldn't stop laughing. Other people were like, I think you're a really good political analyst. I don't like when you do voices. I don't like comedy. You're not a comedian. And it was such a stark separation between the two. There's nobody who's like, meh, it's kind of okay. You know, people are either like, it's kind of crap or it's kind of amazing. So, you know, I guess it's like that old thing. You can't please all the people all the time. Eric writes, Buck, have you won any converts through exposing people to the truth in the blue bubbles they live in uh, through your TV show that you know of? I hope so. Just wanted to say that I fear this caravan is being orchestrated to coincide with the midterms because we completely lost on the previous one. It's the only thing the left has really won within the last two years. The separating families crap was brutal for our calls, and I'm afraid they're playing some 3D chess here, and it may pay off for them at Shields High. Eric, I'm with you on all that. The last time the Democrats had a real a real winner of a political issue in the last six months, by my estimation, is on the family separations at the border issue. That is where Democrats have really been able to, uh, you know, gather up some some political momentum, and it's it's obviously very frustrating because I think that they're they're tremendously dishonest in how they approach all of that. Um, but let's just deal with the reality as it is. They, sure enough, they are, in fact, um, able to capitalize on that issue because it's a very emotional issue for people. It really is. Uh, Cade is next here. You're right. Hey, Buck. Love the show as always. Well, Cade, love you as always, bro. I saw the news about Mueller making his findings public after the midterms. Can you devote some time talking about that and what that could potentially mean? I feel like this has been getting glossed over by the media. Well, Kate, I'm going to be talking about it a lot, especially as it gets closer and then when it happens. I I can't say that I know what's going to shake out with all that. I I can't say that I can predict it. I don't think I don't think anybody knows really what's going on. I don't think anybody knows what the uh end state of all of all that's going to be. I mean, I would I could bet money that there's not going to be anything that affects President Trump. I would bet a lot of money on that one, but I, I I don't know what they've really got up their sleeve. I think Mueller's got nothing in the grand scheme of things, but nothing to a normal, well-adjusted person is not going to be nothing to the Democrats. If he releases a report where he says that there is not necessarily criminal obstruction, but it was unethical the way that Trump fired Comey or something, oh, they're going to make a huge deal of it. And remember, and I've been preparing you for this for a long time, it's not a criminal matter when you impeach a president. It is a political matter. And so if the Mueller report clears Trump and his top associates of any possible criminality, conspiracy, any of that when it comes to Russia collusion, but it has some stuff in there that just doesn't look good or that can be interpreted in such a way that some people would take it as you know unethical, slimy, whatever, that could be used as fodder. That could be used as ammunition for the uh, House, well, the Democrat-controlled House to engage in all kinds of nonsense and demagoguery around uh, Trump and then push for impeachment. I mean, I really think that's what they're going to do. They're going to push for impeachment. Uh, they won't get removal, and they, they will impeach the president if they have the votes. I mean, if they have the majority, if they can, they will do it. 
Uh, Eric writes, Buck, the only blue waves that are happening are the blue waves of new Democrat voters caravanning across South and Central America. Ah, I see what you did there, Eric. You are a clever fellow, and it is good to hear from you. Jonathan. Hi, Buck. Not entirely sure if this is the place for roll call. Well, guess what, my friend Jonathan? Uh, But the whoopee is the blanket from Michael Keaton's son in the movie Mr. Mom. If you haven't seen it and like Michael Keaton, it's a must. Shields high. I haven't seen it, but I can't say I am a Michael Keaton fan. So, um, I'm going to probably... I appreciate the heads up, Jonathan, on the whoopee. But I don't think I'm going to add Michael Keaton, Mr. Mom, to my Netflix queue anytime soon. Uh, Aries writes, Buck, you mentioned you've taken measures for your own safety about, uh, and while carving up a bunch of protesters with a knife or completely caving in their mouths with brass knuckles would be, uh, would be good, it wouldn't look good on camera. So I'm assuming you're carrying pepper spray. My understanding is the NYPD, like a lot of PDs, carries Sabre 5 pepper spray, which is weaker than Sabre Red which is weak as we can be. Stay away from water-based OC sprays, even the so-called law enforcement-grade stuff, unless it has a mix of OC and CS, which I haven't seen in a personal carry canister. Go with an alcohol-based product like LE10. Water-based products take longer to work as they need time for the water to evaporate. The alcohol-based products work right away. You can literally stop a deranged man coming at you with a knife in his tracks with something like LE10. Sabre Red, which is stronger than Sabre 5, a spray of choice for the NYPD, will not do that. Uh, Aries, now, I'm my favorite. Th- I like edged weapons, so I have a whole bunch of different edged weapons. Um, I'm Obviously, I live in D.C., which makes it, as a matter of policy, impossible to legally own a firearm, so I cannot have a firearm in D.C. And people always say, oh, well, because you were in the government. Can't-. I'm like, yeah, please, I wish. That does not give you any... That does not give you any ability to uh, get a firearm more easily, having worked at the CIA or anything like that. Even if you had a top-secret clearance, as I did, and and weapons training, as I did, they don't care. You cannot get a firearm any faster, any more easily than anyone else. Uh, and that is, by, that is by design, I must say. So, uh, let's see what we got here. Catherine. I've been following the resurgence of previously cured diseases eradicated in the U.S. for over 50 years. New strains of polio and TB. The CDC will only report, not diagnose. As we now have 20 million illegals, and I would add another 5 million to that, it seems to me that we have a huge problem. If America continues to allow people from other countries into ours, there will be no more America. We will no longer be a sovereign nation. I think this would be a good topic for a segment of your radio show, Catherine. Catherine, I agree. It's very concerning when you have the reintroduction of disease uh, that has been eradicated previously. Immigration that is unrestricted, i.e. illegal immigration, can certainly play a role in that. But I got to tell you, one of the big problems we're seeing with the pockets of uh, these whooping cough and all these other diseases that, that come back up in this country, it has to do with elite liberal enclaves, places like Palo Alto, California, where for whatever reason, there is this mentality among some of the elites that they should not vaccinate their children for anything, for anything. And while people can say they don't like vaccinations, and I know I've, I've gotten, I've stumbled into that topic here before. I'm not going to do that today. People get very passionate about it. Uh, the reason that you're having those diseases pop up in places like Palo Alto and the reason that Google uh, employees 
as parents have vaccination rates equivalent to like Sudan in Africa is uh, they do not understand the science. Um, So that is not a, uh uh-oh, did I just go there? Let's just, hey, I got an idea. Let's go into another uh, quick pause here. We'll come back. We'll do more roll call on something other than vaccines because did I even talk about that? No, probably not. We'll be right back. Like soft butter on warm toast. Time to spread some freedom coast to coast. It's time for Roll Call. Eric. Buck, to quote Mike Myers' SNL character Simon, I do like drawings. Cheeky monkey. Uh, did this one for the hut. Shields high. Enough said. Let me know if you want to turn it into merch. Wow, that's an amazing drawing this guy did. This guy, Eric, is really talented. I'm being completely... I, w- I wish I could show this all to you, because I know I'm on radio, so one thing that doesn't translate very well is, hey, let me tell you how cool this, this drawing is over radio. Uh, but it's legit, man. This guy's got... Eric, I am really impressed. And, uh... Yeah, let me let me talk to you about this. And this is this is really good stuff. I gotta say, you've done very very well for yourself here. Pablo writes. So when President Trump is in office, he's responsible and must be severely punished, or must severely punish the offending country. This is about Saudi Arabia. When Obama is in office and many people get beheaded by ISIS, he says, "Don't forget the terrible deeds done in the Crusades in the name of Christ." What a double standard! Shields high, Buck, uh, from Pablo. And yeah, I look at the Obama administration emboldened dictators for eight years. And this this line as you hear from people about Trump and emboldened dictators, it's just bizarre, honestly, to me. At this point, I just wish that everybody would would stop acting like that's a sensible thing to say um, that Trump is emboldening dictators because he's reached out to dictators, but it's always under the you and I can be friends. The Trump approach is, hey, dictator, you and I can be friends. You and I can talk. We We can try to make progress. Or you can act like a clown, do stupid things, and I will unleash holy hell on you. That's not that's not coddling them. That's carrots and sticks. That's saying we can do this the nice way, which would be great for us and great for all of your people, and we can be friends, sort of. Or you can continue firing missiles in the case of North Korea. You can continue uh, you know, acting provocatively in Ukraine and, and all the things that we talk about in the foreign policy realm. And there are going to be consequences. And the thing is, when Trump claims there'll be consequences, unlike with Obama, the big bad guys out there on the global scene, they listen because they know it's they know it's for real. Um, here we have after being forced to this is uh, Dr. Lee writes after being forced to listen to viscous diatribe from a lead singer of uh, Cheverches, who called I don't know what that is. Churches? who called Ted Cruz horrible, vile names. I'm not sure I'll continue to attend my decades-long tradition of the uh, Austin City Limits Festival, which is a real shame. And she's not even from this country. She's a Scottish citizen. Dr. Lee, I don't know what this group is or this band, but clearly somebody was talking smack about Trump, and you did not like it, and I agree with you on that one. Richard writes, Hey, Buck, in my humble opinion, this Khashoggi thing stinks to high heaven. The deep state media is acting as though its anonymous Turkish sources are above reproach. But I've seen no convincing evidence the guy is even dead, and the subject of his last column is just too cute by half. Wasn't there another journalist who recently got caught faking his own murder? Could that be related to this? Shields high. Richard, I don't think he's faking his death. I think that would be tough. 
I, I think that's not what's happened here. I think he was almost certainly brutally murdered by the Saudis and with the official uh, say-so of the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, which is... This could be the beginning of a Tom Clancy novel. It really could. I mean, in terms of how gripping this whole situation is. Uh, and and then, of course, you have all the international implications from this. So we will have to see. Lisa writes, The term whoopee was originally coined by Mr. Mom with Michael Keaton. It was his five-year-old's completely tattered and worn-out blanket. Okay, another another Michael Keaton reference on the show today. Woo! Jar also says, Buck, a whoopee's like a security blanket. Okay. Uh, say a tactical will be to just about any Marine under 35, and they'll imagine they're used uh, issue poncho liner. Uh, good to know. Mark writes, hey, Buck, uh, on a recent show you mentioned Mika's father, is a big new Brzezinski, as being a Secretary of State. Nope. He was Jimmy Carter's national security advisor. Cyrus Vance was the Secretary of State. Well, Mark, you are correct, but savor the flavor because the Buck man doesn't get it wrong very often. But yes. Thank you for the uh, thank you for making the, making sure that we get it we get it right here. Uh, that's gonna be it for today in the Freedom Hunt, coming to you courtesy of the Swamp in D.C. Have a great weekend, everybody. We are gonna have some some fantastic shows next week. Always a pleasure to have you hanging out with me here. Uh, please do tell somebody about the show. Shields high. I was just traveling on a train today, and I thought, hold on a second. Can I use this Wi-Fi that's unsecure? It's a public network. Is that a good idea? Can I check my bank statement on this or even my email? You don't want to have to have these security concerns. And I'm somebody who's been trained to identify security risks, especially when you're interacting in the online world. That's why you want a virtual private network. And the best one that you can find is ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN gives you all the security that you need so that you don't put your private information at risk when you're using the internet. Because, you know, they're constantly tracking with all these different apps and all these different social media applications. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run in the background on your computer, phone, or tablet. Keep your online activity safe today and find out how you can get three months free with expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck for three months free with a one-year package, expressvpn.com slash buck.